it does take the same amount of energy to try and do something great as it does to justify something average. The business model of the future is shared values plus shared action equals shared profit. Practical and logical people make the world go round, but creative people make the world worth living in. Welcome to Tagline. Pour a cocktail and join us for inspired conversations with the best storytellers, culture makers, and creators. Presented by our friends at Bullet Frontier Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. We haven't even begun to see the true value of creativity, both in our industry and in the world at large. Tagline is produced by iHeartRadio in partnership with Advertising Age. I'm Gail Turberman. I'm the CMO at iHeartMedia, and I want to welcome you to another amazing episode of Tagline. We're coming to you from our iHeartRadio Red Studios in the heart of New York City with an incredible duo of serious creative award winners. Then we're going to dig into a far-ranging conversation about an interesting topic today. What is the value of creativity? Uh, you guys have proved it's pretty valuable. Our guests here are both known for creating provocative, risky work, zigging a little bit when a lot of other people are zagging. And we're going to discuss how they invent, reinvent, evolve, and perfect in their pursuit of capturing the hearts and minds and sometimes wallets of consumers. With me today, I have David DeRoga, creative chairman of DeRoga 5. DeRoga 5 has been named Agency of the Year a mere 11 times. Which year did you miss? We'll talk about that later. Exactly. Uh, and you're also the only agency, I believe, to be named in Adage's A-list over seven consecutive years. Pretty amazing run you guys have been on. Thank you. Uh, yeah, psyched to have you here. We also have the amazing Cindy Gallup, an advertising icon who's known for channeling her creative skills into real-world advocacy these days. She launched If We Ran the World at TED in 2010 as a marketing and business platform that actually turns human and corporate good intentions into collective action, a very hot topic these days, one micro-action at a time. She's also created a multimedia initiative called Make Love, Not Porn, which uh, right there explains the value of creativity, probably enough said. <laughs> she also encourages an open and healthy dialogue around how real people have sex. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> I see another topic coming. Take a note. Yeah, yeah I'm going to take notes and get some advice for my teenage <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Kids. Or we could, just, we could just pivot now, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. It's crucial. Real Actually, world. that's an awesome opening question. You know, which is more valuable, creativity or porn? Well, actually, I would argue, interestingly, that creativity is a function of what my social sex platform, Make Love Not Porn, is all about. Because Make Love Not Porn is kind of an accident. It came about out of direct personal experience, dating younger men, and discovering <laughs> that porn was acting by default as sex education hmm. in a world where the issue isn't porn, the issue is that we don't talk about sex. Hmm. So Make Love and Porn is an accident. It blew up in a way I never anticipated after I launched at TED in 2009. But what is no accident is the fact that I've spent 30 years working in advertising, in the business of communication. Mm. I know, therefore, that everything great in life and business is born out of great communication, and sex is no different. Great mm. sex is born out of great communication. That's why Make Love Not Porn's mission is one thing only, to help make it easier for the world to talk about sex. Because when you can communicate around sex, you can open up around sex, you can be truly creative, you can have an absolutely wonderful sex life, a wonderful relationship, and a much happier life. Just that well easy. Said. 
Well said. So I think we've said sex is valuable. Um, <laughs> what, what about the value of creativity? Now that it's accessible to everyone with a phone and a, an internet connection or a cell connection, is that driving the value of creativity down as more people have means or is the value of creativity actually rising? Well, creativity is one of those generic words. Who's the measure of what's creative and not? I should paint a little picture before we you know, oh, unpack please. these questions. You should be able to hear... Ice cubes. <laughs> Our sound. Yep. I see it through the lens as a creative person, so clearly I have a distorted loyalty to it. I pack it down to practical and logical people make the world go round, mm-hmm. but creative people make the world worth living in. Do you know what I mean? And you can sort of put that into any industry, any category. Creativity is in everyone, how it manifests itself and how it's revealed to the world. That's subjective, but there is a real value in it. I think mm-hmm. I can say within my limited experience, in the industry, I've seen creativity move from being something that is a nice add-on to something that is crucial. Mm-hmm. It's a point of difference now as opposed to just, oh, that would be interesting if that was creative. If yeah. there's a real logic and there's a real purpose in it, I feel like creativity can change the world. And, you know, even mm-hmm. what Cindy started saying about, you know, she's taking a very important issue and not keeping it dry but making it something that's relevant and worthy but delivering it to people in a creative way and that makes it more interesting and that makes it more obtainable to people and and that's what creativity does. It keeps you engaged, it keeps you interested, it keeps you surprised, it keeps you excited and I love that about it. Yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing, Gail, because very far from creativity having become devalued, we haven't even begun to see the true value of creativity both in our industry and in the world at large. And what I mean by that is right now, our industry thinks that there was a golden age of creativity and creativity being valued, and that golden age is over. Our industry thinks its glory days are over. (laughs) Our industry's glory days haven't even begun because we have not even begun to see what creativity could be in our industry as the result of the creativity and talent and skills of women and people of colour. And to give an example of what I mean by that, at the top of our industry, as at the top of every industry, is a closed loop of white guys talking to white guys about other white guys. I just came from that meeting. It's awesome. Exactly. (laughs) And when you have that closed loop of white guys at the top of every industry, the creative output, the product you get is Batman versus Superman which, not coincidentally, tanked at the box office. When you welcome the creativity, the talent and skills of women and people of colour into, and I use this reference advisedly, the room where it happens, what you get is Hamilton, which not only exploded every previous creative convention of the Broadway musical, but also, not coincidentally, is making literally billions of dollars. That's the amount of creativity that has not yet even been tapped in our industry. It's the amount of creativity that has not yet even been tapped in the world at large. And that is how much money our industry and every other industry is leaving on the table when it does not welcome, celebrate, champion, value and give free reign to the creativity of women and people of colour. I definitely agree with that. I feel like, you know, we haven't unleashed it all and I feel like we definitely need to open it up and, you know, the floodgates will open up when we make it fair for everybody to voice their creativity and have a, have a platform. But sort of at a broader level, beyond the specifics of people of colour or women or white men, and I'm a white man and I 
speaking almost on feel like apologizing people. for it but the value of creativity to your point i think we haven't seen the best days behind us at all and i look at it again not just through the industry and i'm an optimist in what we're trying to contribute and where i think that it's going but you look at for instance, you know, as, as a father of four children and I've got a 16-year-old. So we're at the stage now where we are about to go into thinking about colleges mm. if he does his Fun. homework. <laughs> <laughs> but what's amazing now is you can pick any university or college in the, in the country across multiple sort of sizes and everything like that. What are the questions they're asking now for applicants into these universities? And there's more questions that are lateral, like Google-like sort of questions about you know how they try and mine for lateral thinkers? Mm-hmm. It's not just based on test marks and, and test scores. Yeah. They're trying to see how you think and that you don't think like that other person. There's, I can't remember what the article was a year or two ago where it was saying, you know, why your A-plus student will work for my C-minus student. <laughs> the point in that was if we all bred to think the same, whether it be through just colour and, and sex or reciting the same books and all that and, and we don't let the freak flags fly from those with diverse backgrounds and magical thinkers, mm-hmm. then, you know, the world isn't going to get interesting. And that's where it's true. that sort of shows you the billion-dollar companies now, how they harvest and how they nurture people into the system isn't just through test scores and through CVs. The universities now from the most established ones, they're trying to find creative thinkers, people that are going to solve lateral problems and think about things in a different way. So that gives me hope not just for our industry but for opening doors for different types of people who haven't had opportunities for not just book smart people, you know, not mm-hmm. just people who can regurgitate and parrot back uh, things they learn in school. Yeah, I think there is a, a golden age of creativity coming because it has to. It's interesting. Yeah. Actually, it, it has to. It's not like it would be nice to. Mm. It has to. When I started sort of working in the advertising side in a little software company in Redmond, creative was at the core, right? The creative agencies got two hours, 45 minutes of the three hours of time we had, and it was really about landing the right ideas. And then we talk about where to put those ideas and what the media plan might be. And over the last decade, it was interesting to see how the internet, which you thought would have exploded creativity, and it did in the world, but maybe not as much in our industry, uh, was competing with data. And it almost felt like sometimes the creativity and the data and the media math were at odds. And you started seeing that three-hour block of time shifting more and more to math and data and analytics. And and I do feel personally, as I go out and talk to, you know, amazing creative types like yourself and, and CMOs, it feels like the pendulum is starting to swing back to find a balance between what data can inform, but where great ideas need to lead. You seeing that happen in your experience? People, we're an industry that loves to run to the other side of the ship every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're not known for our restraint. Our <laughs> no, no, it yeah. is crazy. You're right. And <laughs> and the thing is, creativity used to be defined as just what was the narrative or the story or the idea. I think that you know, a great idea can't live in isolation. Can't just be a script or just a a line, unless it is, unless there's a reason why it should exist in that sort of simple manifestation. But data is a great thing. You know, people mm-hmm. expect someone who's a creative person or with my background to be anti that or I'm like, no, I'm a, I want to do whatever works. And if I'm better informed by learning this and partnering with this person, I mean, creativity is whatever you want it to be. Yeah. I think that's what we're seeing, right? The, and, and the depressing thing about that is that not enough people with power in our industry understand that. Mm-hmm. So it is entirely possible mm-hmm 
to read any number of press reports on statements from the heads of holding companies, the heads of big agencies on the future of our industry, and never have them speak about creativity once. You Mm. can literally search those reports of the latest speech by, Mm -hmm. you know, at, you know, the foray, you know, whatever, can, and you will not find the word creativity once in an entire full-page piece covering that speech. I find that extraordinary because it is absolutely missing precisely what Dave is speaking to. I was thinking about this today, actually, because, so today is Equal Pay Day, Oh, and, right. and I, don't, I don't know if you guys saw, but RGA approached me some weeks back with this bloody brilliant idea, which I absolutely said yes to, which was that for Equal Pay Day, they would turn me into a chatbot. And I would. <laughs> I literally... thought you already were. <laughs> <laughs> and so today we launched Cindybot. Cindybot. Um, on, yeah, on Facebook Messenger. Perfect which, name. which basically talks every woman through how to get a pay raise. Um, it was built with the help of the Muse, a Reply AI, which is AI, a bot building company with pay scale. So it pulls data um, on pay. Uh, so literally, for example, you can enter your zip code and it'll say to you entirely in my tone of voice. So, you know, the average salary for an art director in your area is blah, but you're not average, are you? So you're going to ask for more. And, and the reason I bring this up is because when RGA took me through everything they planned, I was blown away by the fact that they'd created a chatbot that was me. So, you know, the creative team, Kate and Brad, who literally built the bot, spent hours watching all of my talks, researching me online. Kate said to me, I am now like the Cindy Gallup brand steward. I was the one going, Cindy would never say that, you know, when they're mapping out the language for, for, for the bot. And so they infused this chatbot with my personality, my language, my sense of humour. And actually a testimony to that is that there's been a phenomenal response on social media. And above, Is your chatbot getting paid well? So if you watch the video, um, like introducing the chatbot, you will see that I say, you know, and and so, you know, they said, you know, um, here's what we wanted you to do, Cindy. I go, it's a great cause. And uh, they went and as it's, you know, for a good cause, you know, do you think you could do it for free? And I went, no, nope. I know my value. Pay me. And now I'm going to show you how to as well. So the response has been amazing. But there have been a lot of people saying this is the best use of a chatbot I've seen. And uh, I'm telling you that because um, what they built was a thing of utility and value that was also enormously engaging, that took technology and with real creativity gave it a personality and a purpose that vast numbers of women today, given the evidence, are finding enormously actively useful. It's why I say the future of our industry is not add units, but add products, Mm. literally creating things of utility and value that utterly delight consumers and are welcomed by them. And there is huge opportunity at the intersection of creativity and technology that, again, I really feel our industry has not begun to tap because they seem to think it's either one thing or the other in, in many pockets of it, especially the more powerful ones. But that's point. a great example and congratulations mm-hmm. again on doing that for you know something so important. But it also illustrates the point is it's embracing technology. Technology is not the idea. Yeah. Like too many yeah. people think mm. like exactly. the technology, so oh, my idea mm. is to use yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. Let me check that box. Mm. I need yeah. one mm. of those. Whereas mm. technology mm. and that is just the canvas or the tool. Exactly. Yeah. And actually on that front, I want to pick up on something you just said, Gail. Mm-hmm. And this may sound like I'm playing to our company and our location. I think it's going to be about radio. It's just a guess. <laughs> so radio <laughs> is one of the most underrated media in our industry. And I say this with feeling for a couple of reasons. The first is that I sit as one of the Ad Council's campaign review committee chairs. 
And the Ad Council obviously relies heavily on donated media yes. um, to, to spread. of partners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so radio plays a very key role mm-hmm. in every Ad Council campaign. Mm-hmm. And radio is a phenomenal way of reaching vast numbers of people at very interesting contextual moments, mm-hmm. drive time, commute time, etc., mm-hmm. in ways that can actually be leveraged to get them to do what you would like them to do. It enormously frustrates me that very often, and I hasten Mm -hmm. to add, it's not true of all the presentations I see at the Ad Council, but very often the pattern of the presentation and the relative weight Mm -hmm. follows the old world order, um, thinking in honest three, which is the big TV spot, okay, Mm -hmm. the big TV commercial, followed by a number of thematic printers. And radio is the last on the list. Mm -hmm. So much so that I've actually proposed to the Ad Council, and I've said this Mm -hmm. to a number of agencies, because we review campaigns at strategy and then at creative concepts and then at rough cut, sort of almost finished work stage. I've said to the agency, I would love you at the strategy stage to go away, brief this work in and come back and show us how the idea works in radio first. Hmm. Lead with radio. Hmm. Because radio is potentially an enormously creative medium. And it requires a very different creative approach to anything else. And I'm really tired of seeing TV scripts on wheels as a radio ad. Yes, the least favorite call I have to make is when I have to tell a CMO that we spent months and months convincing somebody we should be doing radio as part of a campaign and the listeners are there and it's a great creative platform. And then I'll ping one of our people and be like, oh, hey, can I hear those spots? I think it's launching next week. And I'll go... This is the TV without yeah. the video, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Precisely. Yeah. So often. And, and I feel strong about this. It can't be the best option. Years ago, when I was at BBH London, I ran our Cadbury's business. Mm-hmm. And we had a chocolate bar that Cadbury's made called Boost with a tiny budget. And so we had to be enormously ingenious. And we created a radio campaign for Boost featuring a very popular comedy duo, Vic and Bob, in the UK at the time. And that campaign blew the doors off. It sold vast amounts of Boost. The the RRI Mm on it was ridiculous. And it was through an extremely creative use of radio. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting art in the creative community, right? Uh, Audio podcasts are really hot right now. But there's like this interesting, there's a difference between what might make a great spot um, as a pre-roll or a mid-roll or a post-roll in audio and what actually is great contextual content or how do you use audio to grab attention and tell a story differently. Good is good is good. And I think yeah. people are returning yeah. back to not just what they understand, but what <laughs> delivers for them. And radio mm-hmm. is, you know. Reason I'm, is prevailing. Yeah, we're we're loving proud, that here. I, like I'm a proud <laughs> board member of uh, New York Public Radio. So I'm a. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I didn't know that, David. That's so excellent. So it's podcasts are booming yeah. and I feel like smart audio, smart mm. narrative, great relationships mm-hmm. with yeah, your, your local radio station. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Live, it's coming it's back. And I think that's the thing. There's familiarity with it. Mm-hmm. there's reassurance and if it's done well, I agree with you. And the, the theatre of the imagination of radio is Ooh, second to none. So the true. limitations are not exactly. budgets. Oh, I know. They're, You're not trying to make this. It's not uh, a budget. Yeah. It's not your uh, Yeah, I remember agonizing and trying to make a living room with an Xbox in it look right for 31 markets. Impossible, right? No, but I It's wrong that, everywhere. Actually, where if I talk about your living room in audio, it's right. Well, that was the thing. Hey, I picture yourself in your living room. Completely. We're all in the moment, yeah. right? I yeah. do remember yeah. that when I first started in the industry. You know, someone saying to me, oh, on radio, you can do anything you want. Like, if you want to convince people that there's a banana walking down the stairs, you can make them believe that. Yeah. yeah. As opposed yeah. to just, yeah. you know, having to yeah. exactly. bring in animators. Audio is one of those new creative green fields. It's mm. interesting. We talk a lot about millennials. And I think as marketers, one of the things I've realized is in this digital era, particularly millennials in America, I think we really miss the mark in 
for the generation, like the most educated generation in the history of human beings, we actually made everything shorter and a little dumber, right? And now you're seeing six-hour podcasts with 10 million downloads and documentaries are back in vogue. I agree. I think if it's smart and interesting, I think the thing is like the world loves appetizers, but I don't want to live on just appetizers. (laughs) That's true. I mean, I want things of substance. (laughs) so true. And I don't care how they deliver it, but everything can't be snack size. Um, No, look at the size of the average Harry Potter book. (laughs) Yeah, those those teens, those kids, everyone's, oh, they only Mm -hmm. want, you know, what are they sitting down and glued to all the way through to the end? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Precisely. I know. We cut everything down from like, remember 60s were the norm, like not all that long ago? Yeah. And then we went to 15 and we said, hey, you can only handle eight seconds. That's cool. Well, people can only <laughs> handle eight seconds a day. Yeah, but, precisely. Know, give precisely. Them two hours of genius yeah. and compelling. Yeah. They'll ask for more. Yeah. Uh, speaking of appetizers, I got a little thirsty. <laughs> Time to take a break with our friends from Bullet Frontier Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. So we have our friends from Bullet here. I I believe their line is making friends on the new frontier. Welcome Jessica Gonzalez. She is one of the leading female mixologists. Oh my God. Making some new friends. These look sensational. A new mixology treat. Um, Wow. Yeah, these look great. Beautiful glassware. Mm. You have the fruit inside the glassware lining it. And then you have the actual... Mini bottle of bullet. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So now, as that's going through a restaurant or a bar, wow. not only are you remembering that's a bullet cocktail, but you're also intrigued. Mm. And for those of you who can't see in a podcast, <laughs> Jessica's taken the little airplane mini bottle of bullet and actually put it upside down, pouring itself into this insanely beautiful, minty, strawberry deliciousness. I love that idea because that's precisely the problem with any bar call. Once it's made, you've got no idea what brand actually went into it. I think this is genius. And literally, we know what brand went into it because the brand is actually, the bottle is in the glass. The bottle is in the glass. We love that. We love that. Spectacular. Because it is sort of like, how do you get that across? Because on a menu, it's so easy to be forgotten are you buying the cocktail mm. because it says bullet? Or are you buying it because it says whiskey? Mm. Or because it says strawberries or mint? All of these things are like yeah. how you get somebody to buy a drink because it says strawberries. That's oh, I don't necessarily like whiskey, but I love strawberries, so I'll order it. Well, you know, bullet's my actual bourbon of choice, and I'm not saying that because I'm sitting here about to drink a branded uh, <laughs> drink. It actually is. It's brilliant. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah, I love it. The Olmstead Park Smash, it has lemons, sugar, mint, strawberries, uh, a little bit of a local spicy bitters and bullet bourbon. It's very refreshing tasting summer cocktail. Olmsted actually in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, he actually designed all the parks. Mm. Oh, so, fantastic. And he actually Delicious. had a little hand in uh, Central Park, I think, as well. Yeah, I believe I was yes, going to yes, say. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Olmsted went down in history yeah. for after the Louisville <laughs> yeah. parks, yeah. the, so, the then, big New York one. Well, whenever I do a podcast, it's my drink of choice. <laughs> yep, no, yes. exactly. Yes. Cheers. Yes. Cheers. Uh, to making friends on the new frontier of podcasting. Thank you. Thank we you. love. Thank my pleasure. Mm. 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 It still tastes delicious. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. Mm. Sorry. Beyond the theatre of that, it actually does taste. Really oh, my God. Good. Fabulous. Yeah. yeah. You get a little more whiskey when you pour it mm. in on the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Delicious. How does the flavor profile of Bullet inspire you? Is it different than other beverages? So when uh, when you're making cocktails, sometimes what helps a lot is when you're working with 
a really great product. Mm. So if it's a quality product, you're going to end up yeah. with a quality drink. You don't have to mask it. I bet you would agree with other you're, flavors. Then you can do something. Product. Yeah. yeah. When you have Absolutely. something, you can do simple and it's just like the product speaks for itself. Can I ask you a question? This is now just selfishly. I wanted to know, like, do you prefer rye or bourbon? You know what? It depends. And I'll be completely honest. I like to mix them both together. Oh, really? Because I'm, because a, Manha- I'm a Manhattan drinker and I like Ooh. rye. So I actually like a little bit of bourbon in my rye Manhattan, oh, just a smidge. Interesting. When you take one thing, add a little bit of something else, you can make it even better. <laughs> no, no, no. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Ooh, yes. Yes. What a great yes. thing. To- I think Cindy's chatbot would enjoy this cocktail. Oh, uh, uh, my chatbot <laughs> is enjoying this cocktail as we speak. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Precisely. And I love how the the whiskey, like even though it's integrating in the drink, you could slowly sort of um, drink it. You, half of the whiskey's in mm. there. And mm. as you drink it, more of the whiskey mm. goes in. That's yeah, fine. it's That's pretty cool. Yeah, I've That's never fine. seen that before. <laughs> Fascinating. Can I just say something um, on that front, which is that I'm extremely pleased to see you here, um, a female mixologist, talking about rye and bourbon, because the thing that really frustrates me, because I also am a bourbon drinker, a rye drinker, and a scotch drinker, and, you know, those are um, unilaterally marketed to men. Hmm. And trust me, the future of all of them is women. Okay. (laughs) I agree wholeheartedly, and I think that it's changing. Well, I have to say, to Bullet's credit, not only do we have a lovely female mixologist, but I think uh, at least two-thirds of the people we've dealt with, like the lovely Michelle here from Diageo, have been women on this project. Excellent. So um, I think Bullet's kind of getting it right, which Good. is awesome. I agree with you, though. I, I do uh, probably all too many women's panels. And I remember going to a women's event um, that typically is a very male-dominated entrepreneurial event, and they had a special women's event. I, yeah. And it was just wine. And I was like, are you kidding me? Um, Years ago, The Economist brought me Mm -hmm. in to do some consulting with them. And I had this conversation with them about business publications because, you know, I'm a woman in business. I read, you know, The Economist. I read Forbes, Fortune, Wired, Fast Company. And with all of those magazines, I know that they're really talking to men and they are assuming I'm just along for the ride. We know when a brand is talking to men and considers us an afterthought to be swept up, you know, behind the men. I had this conversation actually um, on a panel at a conference as well where I said, the first business publication that makes me feel that I really am its target audience has my undying loyalty. I will subscribe for life. I will go to all their conferences. I will join their wine club. I will join their dating (laughs) service because that's where they're all trying to make money. You know, literally, again, there is a huge amount of money to be made that is not being made out of taking women seriously. That's true. true. I think that that, that's true broadly speaking, definitely. Sure. But I don't think it's true of everybody. I think that, you know, there are some publications that I don't think are thinking about a specific gender. Uh, Do you think the New York Times is thinking about just a male audience or do you think they're thinking about an intelligent audience? I think the New York Times, which is well known to be a male-dominated workplace, you know, look at what happened to Jill Abrams in in that scenario, is looking at things through the male lens and that makes a difference. I think the course correction is massive that needs to happen and I agree with that. And I say that as a male, I say that as someone who's benefited from being a white male, I say that as also someone who's proud that I can only speak for my company. I think six of our 10 top executives are female. So, you know, I feel like we base it on talent, not on 
No, and, and 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 you have the fantastic Sarah Thompson. We had this. Whom I really hired at BBH, and you CEO. totally saw totally. the potential in. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it and I see the benefit of surrounding myself with incredibly intelligent people, and it just thankfully happens to be more women. You know what I mean? And my business has flourished because of that. The diversity of thought is hard enough to sort of cast for, hire for, right? Keep the ideas diverse. But when you try to balance that with the shared values, I think that's where it gets really challenging, right? Where you're Mm. trying to thread a needle of great things happen when brands share values with consumers, when a team shares values and there's a culture that that's my experience. And and you need that team to reflect. For me, it's not about diversity, it's about humanity. Yes. It's simply about reflecting the world as it really is. And our industry doesn't do that sufficiently. But finding diverse people who share thoughts is much more challenging, I would imagine, than finding... Um, um, no, not at all. Yeah. No, no, it's extremely easy to find diversity. It's all around us. We just don't look hard enough for it. Hmm. Women buy, but also, crucially, women share. Hmm. So social media is simply a whole new methodology for us to do what we have been doing since the dawn of time, which is sharing the ish out of everything in a way that men don't. Because we are the gossipers. We're the chatters. We are the sharers, the recommenders, the advocates, the ambassadors. So much so that I actually say to brands that think they're targeting men, talk to women. Because women will influence men more than men will influence other men in this context. I I definitely agree with that. I I think maybe the promising thing for that point is I'm hearing more and more in in client Mm. meetings them saying that. Oh, good. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying every – but you're right. right. I definitely feel like – Maybe the light bulb's finally gone off, in from, and obviously we need it to be, you know, consistent and widespread. But Ooh. I'm definitely hearing that more Ooh. and more. There's a generation Ooh. that's grown up with much more diversity of thought and experience and access to cultures and people who weren't exactly like them. That I think don't necessarily see the disconnect or the awkwardness or that there is any difference. Um, so I'm hopeful too that we. I know definitely, and yes, I say that as a get to a place as where... a practical businessman, as a <laughs> citizen of the world, and as a father of. Multiple mm-hmm. daughters. We can only hope. Yes, we'll do our part. One female mixologist in great cocktail Absolutely. at the time. So we thank Absolutely. you, Je- Jessica. Uh, amazing. Thank it you. It's delicious. Cheers. Uh, Cheers. Thanks for having me. Enjoy your drinks. Naked friends on the new frontier. Grab some bullet, the spirits here. Write the story, have no fear. All the borders disappear. There we go. Bullet Frontier Whiskey. Please drink responsibly. Speaking about millennials, maybe the other myths that we have is everyone's distracted, right? There's this attention economy. When you think about creativity and capturing attention, do you start in lengths and formats? How do you start your creative process knowing that we live in this world where people are distracted? And attention is a scarce well, I, resource. Yes, as a sort of 30,000-foot thing. Yes, everyone's distracted, but 20 years ago, people said they were distracted with what they had. It's at an easy alibi. I think, you know, the starting point is, as I said before, like why would anyone give a shit? And also not just what the content is that you're trying to push out there on the canvases, but it's the context. It's the context in which you're going to try and engage them and talk about them. You know, there are times to try and have a conversation or try and be a part of their lives and all that, and there are times where just stay the fuck out of it and just... You know yeah, I mean? I'm a big fan. Sometimes you just say it. Good yeah. things prevail and cut through. <laughs> it's true. And yeah. boring dish doesn't. And that's a fact. 
What I think on that, and picking up on Dave's point, which I completely agree with, about why should I give a fish? Mm -hmm. I live my own philosophies in the startups that I've created. I believe that the future of business is doing good and making money simultaneously, and therefore that the business model of the Mm -hmm. future is shared values plus shared action equals shared profit, financial profit and social profit. In other words, when brands and businesses come together with their consumers, their audiences, on the basis of values that you all share, which, by the way, is the most important requirement for a good relationship in life as much as business. You will never truly bond with someone who don't share the same values. And if you're then enabled collectively and collaboratively to co-act on those values, to walk the talk together, you can then make things happen in the real world that will benefit consumers, benefit society, and benefit the brand and its business. And so for me, a key part of attention getting, if you like, Mm. is when as a brand you demonstrate very clearly, you project a set of values and consumers align with you around those values because they're the values they also hold. And what is interesting about that is I'm not talking about putting something out there deliberately to appeal to consumers. I'm talking about literally going, this is who we are. Well, knowing this is what we are, stand for. Right? Yeah, putting I mean, that out the brand there and you will absolutely are. draw to you people who go, those values completely align with mine and I want to be a part of whatever it is you're doing. And then you've absolutely begun the relationship building process. That's such a great point because I, I definitely agree because that, that distracted thing or people not caring or giving is thankfully now that's the greatest thing that's happened now with the technology and transparency is that brands their body language has to be in sync with what they say mm-hmm. 10 20 years ago it didn't they could that's say true. this yeah. and their whole behavior could yeah be you could show up here with a so point you're of right view people are drawn to people that share values i mean that's the mm-hmm. whole thing i mean that's why facebook you collect people who agree with who you are <laughs> you know i mean it's people mm-hmm. are drawn mm-hmm. to things of people that validate who they are and share values you're right. The brands that are flourishing are those ones that actually put something out there to stand for something and people sort of, you know, they're aligned principles and values. And I, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I totally agree. In life and marketing and everything, I, I think you said it well. You know, I think in this new sort of world of everything's accessible, everything's possible, experience has gone out of vogue a little bit, but it feels like maybe it's coming back in. How do you look at experience and through a creative filter? Do you mean experience of the, the creative themselves? Yeah, you know, I think we've been in this entrepreneurial, new, next, I can start a company, I can create things, I have the means, uh, youth culture maybe, where experience has almost gone out of vogue. Not sure if that's true in the creative world Well, I think there's there's an argument for either because I feel like experience with that comes wisdom and learnings and shortcuts and knowing where the maze ends and all that, which is helpful (laughs) and wisdom will never go out of style. But then also with lack of experience comes naivety and ignorance, which is also some of the biggest fertilizers of creativity, which is not knowing (laughs) that that's a stupid thing, so you'll pursue it and then something could come out of that. So it's a tough one and maybe I'm going to pivot because now I'm getting into the experience category, moving from the sort of young guy to – in the beginning, I think that I benefited from being young and naive and Mm -hmm. all those things that come with that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm trying to parlay that into, well, you know, there's – Greatness in wisdom and, you know, <laughs> but as long as I surround myself. Have you myself, seen my awards? I love sitting down if I meet someone and they have an obsession about any topic, whether it be owls or surfing or whatever it is. Like if they've studied a lifetime and I always try and get what I can out of them in an hour conversation. So there's great stuff that comes from experience. Not everything has to be surface level and disposable. True. And wisdom mm-hmm. does. Going back to radio, right? Yeah. Not everything has to be instant and disposable, mm. you know. So I was having this conversation a few weeks ago with a very reputable creative director in our industry who 
was expressing frustration about the fact that ageism absolutely operates, particularly the belief that the older creators in our industry are not digitally savvy, you know, can't deal with the modern world, etc. Had a snap. And, and so I was thinking about this just within this discussion. I said to him, actually, here's what I do. If you want to do something about that, here's what I do. I would tackle that issue head on. So I would bring together around you a whole group, a collective of other older creatives in our industry who feel the same way. And, and by older, I mean over the age of 50, let's say. And in fact, not just creatives, but strategists, account people, whatever. I would form a collective. I would give it a name that tackles this issue head on. And so I would call it the old folks home. Okay. <laughs> and I would do two things. The first is that I would announce publicly that every week, let's say every Wednesday, between the hours of seven and nine in the evening, the old folks home will take up residence at this bar, cafe, wherever, <laughs> where they will offer free, you can basically come along and you can talk to them about any issue troubling you in the industry. You can get instant mentorship advice. The only criteria is that you can only do that if you're under the age of 25. Hmm. This is something that the young people in our industry are gagging for. Okay, And I say that as somebody who does workshops and consulting with agencies, because as we all know, it's a bloody nightmare today. The economy is tough. The numbers are down. You're pitching 24-7. Nobody's got time to dispense wisdom as a result of many years of experience mm. to the people at the bottom. That's if you even see them, by the way, versus the person who's running around putting something together in a meeting. So the young people in the street could really benefit from that advice and that wisdom. And secondly, they would go back to their agencies and they would talk about it big time. I'm all about communication through demonstration. That's one of the quickest ways to get the value of experience and wisdom in our industry, you know, yeah, reappraised and respected. The and then secondly, I would actually make that collective what in fact Rick Boyko did with Spark Starters, which, mm. which I've been a part of, which is bring together a bunch of industry veterans who are available as consultants, as trainers, as workshoppers, again, to provide all of that um, expertise that when you are pitching 24-7, you can't always manage in-house to be able to coach people and get them to best practice operation the way that you always like to. No, that's a good idea. I mean, years we've been talking about this in the office about we we're trying to do something with potential around this was that, you know, essentially wisdom is probably the greatest natural resource that's wasted in this country anywhere. Like you think mm. of the amount of that's really learnings yeah. and brain power oh, and experience yeah. and all that, that is either put to pasture or that could be tapped into the next generation. And as we live older and older, that bank of wisdom and experience is going yeah, bigger and bigger broader. and it's put on ice. Like we get on trying to think if they could create something that could tap into that, almost like what you were talking Ooh. about. Like we're, there's very few, I won't say there's nothing, but there's very few things that haven't been seen before, maybe in a different Ooh. context, shape yeah. and size, but mm -hmm. where you yeah. couldn't learn something from the generation above us. You know, no matter how old we are, there's someone above us who's Ooh. sort of <laughs> been in similar sort of footsteps Ooh. that we have and could teach us something. Yeah. So I think that's a good idea. You're right because everyone's in such a – Snap frenzy, eight second, da, da da da. But realistically, you know, a lot of the things they've done and, and questions they have aren't new. Yeah, it's interesting. We did a, uh, a women's episode of Tagline recently. And one of the things that struck me was an awesome group of senior women in the industry. And one of the first things they did was they started apologizing for not having time to mentor people. Yeah. I thought mm. that was really mm. interesting. I didn't think the, the men's episode mm. necessarily would have gone there. Mm. You know, one of the things that's always struck me about creatives as a whole, and you guys are great examples of this too, is there's a youthfulness that comes from curiosity. 
And I think what tends to draw people to creative fields, any creative field, is a natural curiosity that I don't think goes away as you get older. And I think that is one of the things that keeps great creators great. I agree. I think curiosity is contagious. (laughs) And I'm glad it is because I think that is what, whatever your birth certificate says, your curiosity is something that keeps you young and Agreed. I think everyone has an innate age. That's that's something my wife and I always say. I'm I'm five at heart. (laughs) No, no, exactly. I think that's the thing. I feel like no matter what, I'm so happy to be a creative person because I'm always desperate to sort of be like looking, exploring, solving, learning. I had that conversation honestly today with someone who was coming in for an interview and I said, let's just forget the context of we're talking about this job or this thing. And I said, we get paid to daydream. Like just think about (laughs) that. Like someone, whether they be a billion dollar client or a startup or a politician or an NGO, like they are paying, we're not making a widget or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're not on the cancer. factory line. Like yeah, someone's yeah. paying us. We can help all of them and contribute to that, but we're paying to use our imagination. And that is unbelievable as a job. I think that is the real value of creativity in some ways, right? It's the luxury of being able to be curious and think and provoke and ask questions as a maker. And then on the other side is a receiver the ability to be provoked and prodded and open people's minds or hearts and make them think and feel. It's amazing. It's, it's a luxury. You know, it is a luxury. Even on our hardest, worst days in our industry, we still get We have to it. sit here and have a well, podcast no, but and like it's, it's talk about creativity. No, 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 it is. Although to the point you just made, Gail, so, because this is another thing I think our industry is missing out on. So mm. because it's not as if we're in transmit mode and the audience is in receive mode. Mm. There's a huge opportunity, particularly today, with everything that social media affords, for us to put brilliantly creative campaigns, programs, objects, whatever they are out there, and to then welcome and study the response and to then leverage it and interact with it and build and build on it mm-hmm. and actually welcome in areas of creativity from it that can then be expanded on going forwards. And the problem is that too many brands and agencies are too scared to do that because, (laughs) oh my God, somebody has interacted with us on social media, must not go there. What do we do? Get the crisis communications people. Our tweet back has to go through seven layers of approval. before You can't do that. There is enormous potential in releasing your creative product into the wild Mm -hmm. and seeing how people respond to it and then seeing what you can build on out of those responses in real time to create even more whatever it is moving forwards. We talk about that a lot internally. Where our industry has changed is back in the day, we were paid to come up with some concept or narrative that was always in a neat bow, whether it came alive through a 30-second television ad or a billboard or whatever it was, but it was sort of put out into the world as this finished, completed Mm. thing. And now the narrative, the idea, people's reaction is part of that narrative. Absolutely. It's one of the reasons that live radio is still reaching, you know, 90 plus percent of Americans every day. And the reason is because it is live and messy and human and raw and it's always changing. And mm. and you see right away if, you know, uh, Ryan Seacrest goes on air and says something provocative or controversial or unpopular, he'll know instantly because consumers will start responding and reacting in real time. And that changes his dialogue on air. It used to be telephone mm. lines, right? It used to be yeah, like yeah, all, yeah, yeah. all the buttons would light mm. up and be like, oh my God, people hated that. I can't believe, oh, sorry. Hey, let's have a conversation about it. Whereas now, too many brands yeah. put their video on YouTube and disable the comments. It's true. Yeah, it's yeah, sort of a, yeah. <laughs> which kind of defeats the. No, I know it's, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, it is yeah. ridiculous. It's challenging though, learning to live in a world of real time creativity, isn't it? But the interesting thing to go back to the point I made earlier was, you don't have to worry about it if you are living according to your values. 
So if you know very clearly what you're about and what you stand for and you are behaving accordingly and you're communicating accordingly, then however people engage with you, you never have to be worried about it because you're not trying to be anything you want. Yeah. And you, you can just be who you are. You can respond as who you are. You know, you're being open, you're honest, you're real, you're authentic. There's nothing to worry about. It's so true because fortunately we work with some great brands who you know have strong points of view that have been provocative and they've stood their ground because they genuinely believe it, something like Honeymade and things like that. But then there's brands that say, we stand for this, but if they hear any backlash, they're like, well, we don't really stand for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Don't, if you don't like it, that's yeah. not our principle. You briefly stood. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like, standing what? yellow, not standing <laughs> exactly. rock. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone out there doing amazing things you wish you did? There's always people I'm jealous of. There's always... <laughs> ah, jealousy. Jealousy is a Primal great motivators, yes. No, I think in lots of categories in different industries, you know, in, from the art world, the film world, the television world, the design world. I mean, you know, I sit on boards, things that inspire me that are creative, that aren't commercial things. You know, I sit on the board of New Museum. I sit on the board of the public theatre and things like that, going back to Hamilton and stuff mm. like that. Yeah, I'm most jealous of people that are building sustainable businesses but doing good, you know, that it's done through social conscious and making impact like we live in an era now where you don't have to choose between you don't have to choose yeah that it's increasing doing good or having a good business like you can actually choose both and that is the win-win right absolutely it's a beautiful thing how about you cindy what i'm envious of is anybody in our industry who has done something enormously creative that is fundamentally rooted in the product the brand and the business and so a campaign i totally wish i'd done (laughs) is the enormously clever thing that Crispin did with Kraft for the new mac and cheese, Mm. um, which you may may not recall, Kraft decided to change their formula for mac Mm. and cheese to make it healthy. But obviously, whenever anybody does that, instant outcry, look at New (laughs) Coke, the absolute epitome of how not to do it. What they did was basically they changed the formula and they told nobody. And they sold it in the same packs for three months as the new mac and cheese. And then they came out and said... The announcement is we've changed it and you love it because you have spectacularly failed to notice for the past three months. <laughs> I just thought that was genius. Again, I'm about communication through demonstration. Mm-hmm. What better way to get buy-in into a new formulation than to do that? The thing with our industry is, you know, to try and justify who we are. We've created so many levels of responsible, smart people whose job is it to find responsible reasons not to do these things. That is, yes, yes. There's you know so many I mean? people And you can who almost can put anything no, great through. So and there's, with yes. good intentions. Yeah. It's yeah. not like yeah. everyone Always. who kills something or mm. is a yeah. who's like, oh, no, no, no. It's yeah, like, we all have opinions. You have enough responsible people that you can find a reason for something not to happen. And that's the enormous tragedy of our business because mm. every single one of us, if you are an ad person worth your salt, you have <laughs> in your mind forever – that short list of bloody brilliant ideas that never got to happen yeah. that still make you burn red hot with rage all these years <laughs> yeah, later, yeah, yeah. Right? right? Oh, we all have yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, and we all have them. They represent such an appalling waste mm. of creativity, of talent and brilliance and ingenuity and because they were killed, not because they were bad ideas, but for a whole host of reasons that range from client's appetite for risk through the lack of budget, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. And honestly, well, even the work that got made and never saw the light of day. Oh, yeah, oh, and, you know, I always and, wanted and, and to do too. like the yep, other yep. can event yep. where you had to go through a metal detector, check your cell phones, all your devices, and then just share in a dark room oh all the work that never really got seen. Because I bet there'd That's be spectacular. Funny. But we, we talk about it in our office, you know, and I genuinely believe this. 
it does take the same amount of energy to try and do something great as it does to justify something average. Absolutely, it's bloody easier, easier, actually, because yeah. I think you all know. the people come mm. along for the ride, all the other pieces just Yeah, they're, and their whole businesses yeah. and mm. corporations people go out of their built way. on justifying yeah. average. Yeah. 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 yeah, absolutely right. Justifying average. Absolutely right. yeah. That's the name of my agency, yeah. Justifying <laughs> Average. <laughs> no, exactly. That's the true thing. Well, I know you don't like it, but I'm going to have... Mr. Blah, blah, blah with X title. Come in and give you a presentation about why mediocrity was the right choice for you. Absolutely. We're exactly. just going to stay exactly. in this lane right here. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'd rather yeah. spin my wheels and try and do something great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I have one final question that we always ask all our esteemed guests here on Tagline. What is your tagline? Well, I think a lot of the world knows mine. <laughs> I like to blow the shit up. I am the Michael Bay of business. <laughs> It's terrific. Does he get a royalty every time you say that? Yeah. He should be giving me royalties. <laughs> <laughs> as, as somebody said, he should be aspiring to be the Sydney Gallop of movie theatres. Yeah. I love right. That's exactly I love right. I don't have a tagline. Like maybe I need to get one. You now. should get I'm a team like, on that. Yeah. I'll get a team. But my, I think my thing would be um, care more and don't be a yeah, profound, <laughs> profound. I, I don't know how I can top that. <laughs> and that's episode three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Thank you guys so much uh, for sharing, provoking some thought. That was fun. That was yeah, fun. it's a yeah. good time, isn't it? Making friends here on the podcast. And, and with, with cocktails. With cocktails. cocktails. What could be Thank better you than to our that? friends at Bullet. You've been listening to Tagline, presented by our friends at Bullet Frontier Whiskey, the Bullet Distilling Company, Louisville, Kentucky. Please drink responsibly. We want to hear what you thought. Join the discussion on Twitter now by using the hashtag tagline. Catch all of our episodes at iHeartRadio.com slash tagline in the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Audiation.